My good people, surprise, bringing you a late addendum to the earlier podcast today, episode 74. You could call this 74 and a half or 74.5, but in the books, it'll be episode 75 as I deliver the latest and greatest in the world of sports. It is currently 11.43 p.m. Eastern Time, and I just finished watching Game 5 of the NBA Finals, where the Toronto Raptors were just one win away from winning their first ever NBA championship, but they were denied that opportunity as the series will shift to Oracle Arena Thursday night, where you'll see Game 6 and the last time an NBA game will be played in that venerable building. And lots of discuss about this game, I tell you. This was sports at its finest, theater at its greatest, and of course, as unscripted and as beautiful as sports is, you got the chance to see that tonight up in Toronto where, as I said earlier in the podcast, you had a chance for the Raptors to hang their first banner. Well, of course, win their first championship and eventually get their first banner. And as I said earlier today, I didn't know if Golden State was going to have it in them. As far as their heart and everything that was displayed here tonight, you knew they were going to come out fighting. But earlier when I was recording the podcast, we didn't think that Kevin Durant was actually going to play in the game. And as you saw, he did play and certainly inspired the group to 11 points, 3 for 5 from 3. He looked like he didn't even skip a beat until about halfway through the second quarter when he came up lame on that crossover. Ball bounced out, Ibaka went for a layup, and that was going to be it for Kevin Durant. Much props to him. He certainly gave it all he could. He will most definitely be out for the rest of this series considering that he left the building on crutches and in a boot. So all props, give it up. I'm sure the Knicks fans are probably wondering, oh, geez, hopefully it's nothing torn because as I said earlier, whether you're a Knicks fan or Net fan, you probably have those visions of KD wearing either black and white or blue and orange. But that's for a later show. Right now with Durant out of the mix and with all the pomp and circumstance leading up to this game, not only from the Raptor side considering – they were ready to unleash the coronation tonight, but that was not to be the case, as you saw on full display. Why the Warriors, and I mentioned this earlier, why the Warriors, if they were to win this game, to bring it to a game six, knowing that all the ammunition was left out of the holster, and I know it's a bad analogy to say in this day and age, but just from a sports perspective, knowing that they left everything, emptied the whole tank, They have two days to regroup, and on that third day, they'll be able to live to see another game and give kudos to not only Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, who are just enormous, especially down the stretch, and we're going to get to that, but also DeMarcus Cousins gave you a contribution. He had an awful foul there at the end where he had that moving screen, which gave the Raptors a chance to win the series on that final possession. But when you look at this game in stages... Obviously, the Warriors were in full control early. The Raptors had a late surge there in the end of the second quarter. And then once you got into the third quarter, Kawhi Leonard only had 12 points. He was 4 for 12 from the field. Certainly was not performing at the high level that he has been the prior four games. And then in the third quarter, only had one point. The Warriors went up by as many as 14 in that third quarter. And you're starting to think to yourself, will they be able to pull this game away Hopefully to get some rest, kind of have, I don't want to say a rocking chair game because you knew it wasn't going to be that. You knew that Toronto was going to go on a run. But at the same time, you felt that if you were a Warrior fan, that if they could somehow, some way continue to keep this lead, if not double digits, but anywhere between 8 to 12, 
they would go on and coast. Well, obviously that wasn't the case. Steph Curry had his troubles in the second half. Klay Thompson was magnificent. And not only that, I mentioned about Cousins earlier. Kevon Looney had to leave the game. He had that injury that he suffered in game two to his ribcage. He gave it all he got. And you were thinking at that point as the Raptors were starting to come back. You had contributions from Ibaka who played a very good game. Marcus Gasol was more of a factor in the first half and early in the second half. You didn't really hear much about him later on in the game. Kyle Lowry obviously made a contribution. He missed on that final shot, which would have won the series at that point, but the defense was just swarming at that point. And we'll get to that final sequence in just a second. But Toronto, give it up. They certainly played well. And in that fourth quarter, when you thought that Kawhi Leonard, who was pretty much Casper for him and the way he's played throughout this whole postseason and especially in this finals, for him to only have 13 points and not even have his fingerprints on this game, you knew at some point he was going to break through. You just didn't know when. And at a key time, when the Raptors were pretty much trailing the whole game, he put them on his back to the tune of 12 straight points to a six-point lead with about two and a half minutes to go. And you're thinking that they were going to cruise to a victory knowing that Golden State was running out of gas. They were literally on fumes toward the end. Draymond didn't really give you anything. He had a little baby hook there toward the end, but he was, you know, he had five fouls. Iguodala, who made some shots early, certainly didn't contribute much offensively in the second half. You did get some contributions from Jordan Bell and a bucket from Quinn Cook. But you knew that if they were going to be able to take this game home and bring it back home to Oakland, it was all going to be on the Splash Brothers. And sure enough, at 103-97, off a screen, Curry hits a three to make it 103-100. Then with less than two minutes to go, Cousins on a putback dunks it in. They review it. They overturn it. They felt that it wasn't out of the cell. It was not out of the cylinder. And I understand it was inconclusive. I thought on first look, live, regular speed, I thought it was official. I didn't think it was going to be overturned. I thought for sure it was two points, and it looked like it was going to be costly at that point. Because when you get down the stretch, obviously every point counts. And Cousins, like I said, he did make a contribution, although he had a couple of bad shots and also had that stupid foul there at the end, which almost cost them the series. But be that as it may, they didn't get those two uh, two points there. And then they come right back with another three from Curry to tie the game. And then Clay Thompson then comes back with a three of his own to make it 106-103. They get a bucket there to make it 106-105. Then after a defensive stand as the Warriors are going up the court, what happens? That's where Cousins gets that foul, offensive foul, and you're thinking with 15 seconds to go, whatever it was, I think it was about 15-6, with a chance to win the series, you're thinking Kawhi is going to make the shot in no timeout. Golden State actually had a foul to give, and which they didn't do, which I thought was pretty smart because their defensive pressure there, they double-teamed Leonard. In fact, once Draymond Green got his fifth foul, and you could see on the broadcast, he even pointed to Clay, says, I got five, I got five. So Clay went on him and he did a stupendous job on Leonard. So with that stretch, maybe from the eight minute mark of the fourth to about the two minute mark, that was all Kawhi Leonard. After that, you didn't hear anything from him. 
So they defended him. They double teamed him at the top of the key. They moved the ball over to Van Fleet. Van Vliet had to kick it out to the corner to Kyle Lowry. At that point, Draymond Green was pressuring into the corner to try to contest the shot. He did as it hit the side of the backboard. And the Golden State Warriors, with KD leaving early in the game, with Kevon Looney, good role player, defensive player, out of the game, offense pretty much from hunger, literally running on fumes, were able to steal one at Scotiabank Arena, and that flight home is going to be tiresome, but at the same time, it's going to be rewarding because they will have one last game in that old building at the Bay. And what can you say about Golden State's effort? I know it's tough to count a team like that out who's been through so many wars, have been through so many battles, and for them to put up that game tonight, now give them props, give them kudos. You got to respect that. They are champions. But they still have to do that two more times in order for them to get a title. Now, who knows? We've seen stranger things. If you listened to the podcast earlier today, you know I came out and said that what if they win a game five and then happen to go home and win a game six to go back to Toronto for a game seven on Sunday? All the pressure will be on the Raptors. And as we've seen time and time again, Golden State's been through this before. They know. They know what it takes to play in a hostile environment. They know what it takes to play when the chips are down. They know what it takes to overcome adversity. We've seen it. And with this group, I understand not with the Kevin Durant teams, you're going to look back to 2016, as I mentioned, that 73-9 and year where they were down 3-1 to OKC. Okay, we understand this, is our, this isn't the Oklahoma City Thunder and it's not a conference final, but at the same time, they have the championship pedigree as we've seen. And I'm not going to look too far ahead. You got to take it one game at a time. But wouldn't it be fascinating if somehow, some way, Golden State were to prevail at Oracle on Thursday night? I think you'll have a riveting final. But the, to me, the main thing about this series now is how much gas they're going to be left in the tank of both Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. Because they're going to have to carry this team. Can they do it? Absolutely. What helps them is the schedule. Now the next game is three days from now. And then, of course, Sunday will be three days after that. That's going to benefit Golden State. You hope maybe Kamon Looney could come back and give you some minutes because he is a good role player, plays some defense. He's not going to give you much offensively. Draymond Green, obviously you got to count on him to make some big shots. And he had a couple of big threes in this game. Iguodala's got to give you a little bit more offense. And as I said earlier, I want to see a seventh game. The ratings are going to be through the roof come Thursday and hopefully on Sunday. Toronto right now, you could understand that the pressure is shifting to the Raptors knowing that they were this close to just icing it on that floor on that last possession. But by any means, they're certainly in the driver's seat. The pressure will still be on Golden State considering that they're trying to go for a three-peat. But right now, they're not thinking that. They're just thinking to live to see another day. And they have. And once again, you got to give them credit. So excellent job. It was an excellent game. Something that, one thing you're going to look at here in the box score, and I don't have it uh, officially, if I could look it up real quick, but I know for sure, when you look at the box score, when when you see the three-point disparity where Golden State hit about, I think, 17 to 18 threes, and Toronto only hit about six. And that's where you're going to see the difference. I understand 
Golden State missed a lot of free throws, especially Cousins, throughout the course of the game. But still, you're going to look at that disparity with three-point shooting and three-point makes as pretty much the difference of the game. Now, we understand it came down to a couple of plays here and there, defensive stops and things of that like. But at the same time, that's going to stick out at you, knowing that guys like Fred Van Vliet, who did have a couple of threes, but certainly didn't have an impact on his game. Same for Kawhi Leonard. Other than that fury in the fourth quarter, he was quiet for the most for the most part. Gasol made a couple of threes, but that was early on in the game. Ibaka, though, had an excellent game, but obviously didn't make it, you know any threes from off the top of my head, from what I could recall. And come Thursday night, we'll see. Fascinating. This is why you watch sports. This is why I watch sports. This is why I love it. And hopefully you enjoyed that and you'll be able to see another game come Thursday night so an NBA season has not come to a halt. All right, a couple of other things before I sign off that I didn't mention earlier from the podcast that I wanted to point out. One thing I forgot, sticking to the basketball, the part owner Mark Stevens in that game three, or it was a game four, no, game three, where Kyle Lowry was pushed by uh, uh, courtside there, by, again, the part owner Mark Stevens, who the league came down on him, one-year suspension. Obviously, you're not going to see him on the sideline there Thursday night. Also suspended and fined $500,000, excuse me. It's a little late, people. It's almost midnight. <laughs> and uh, so with Stevens not going to be part of the mix, which was good for the league, which was good on Adam Silver or whomever the higher-ups there in the NBA were able to crack down on this person. And chances are, who knows, with the suspension, he's probably going to have to sell his share of the team to whomever it may be because obviously that was unacceptable what he did inexcusable, you name it. And Kyle Lowry had a right to be upset, point him out, and good for the league, good for that guy because he got what he deserved, and hopefully that sends a message to other people throughout the league who have high positions, whether they're part owners or just even a league executive. That could have been anybody. I understand if it was an average Joe, you know, a guy who worked in Silicon Valley or whatever who makes a ton of money, but nobody's going to remember him. But because this guy was a part owner, obviously – they laid down the iron fist and good for them by, by doing so. You know, the NFL could take a few lessons from what the NBA did here when it comes to disciplining, whether it's players, executives, in this particular case, an owner. So that's number one. On to the baseball. Did not have a Subway Series game as they will make up the game tomorrow. And it looks like they're pushing the game to the second game to Wednesday. So it'll try to get the two-game series in. I don't know the weather's going to be better both tomorrow and on Wednesday. So you didn't have a Subway Series game. I didn't leave a prediction. I just hope the Mets split. Let's face it. We talked about Jason Vargas earlier. He had that complete game shutout last week, which was shockingly, again, against a bad offense in the San Francisco Giants. But you can't expect that second time around. Well, I certainly can't expect that second time around. In fact, I could see the complete opposite. But as long as they win the second game, where Zach Wheeler will start and he'll go up against James Paxton. You would think the Mets will hit Masahiro Tanaka, but then again, Tanaka, you could either get you know, the six innings or seven innings of one run, four hit ball, or you may get five innings, five runs, six hits. So who knows? But as long as they get a split, I don't care how they do it. You walk out of that stadium, one on one, and that's it. And I did mention earlier today that you're not going to be able to win a series. Of course, they could sweep, but huh, what are the chances of that happening, especially with Vargas on the mound? But as long as they split... Going to the weekend against 
St. Louis and try to win three out of four against a Cardinal team that certainly has played well this year but has been scuffing a bit after losing three in Wrigley Field over the weekend. So hopefully the Mets could do that. And away we go. One other thing about the Mets, the analytical aspect of it, I didn't mention this from last week, Jeff McNeil, who came back off the DL and had two games where he had four hits, and what happened on the Thursday afternoon game against the Giants, they had him sit because they feel that he needed some rest or needed, uh, the analytics said that it was best for him to sit and he could play on Friday against Colorado. Well, what did he do? He came off the bench in the seventh inning as a pinch hitter, not only got a hit, but also got the game-winning RBI, which led right prior to the home run by Todd Frazier, which iced the game. So... As you know how much I can't stand analytics and for a guy that was on the deal for 10 days and it looks like he's actually going to be on the, possibly the IL, I know I mentioned DL. Chances are he may be on the IL again because he didn't play in a game yesterday and who knows if he was going to be in the lineup for tonight's game. But with the rain out, hopefully he can come back tomorrow. I understand the Yankees, they're going to throw Paxton in the second game, but you would think with McNeil, he's batting 345. You would think he could go up against any lefty, no matter who it is, even if it was Randy Johnson for that matter. So I just don't like the analytics part because here's a guy who is red hot and has been their best hitter the whole year. And then here he is, he comes back for two games, gets four hits, and then sits the next game only to come off the bench and get two more hits. So, so much analytics, if you know what I mean. Also, I forget failed to mention about Dallas Keuchel and Craig Kimbrell. Kimbrell was the first guy to sign after the draft where he went to the Cubs. The Cubs signed him three years for... million. The Cubs, which they needed to close in the worst way, certainly bolstered that bullpen. Don't know when he's expected to arrive. You would think probably in the next week or so, whereas Dallas Keuchel, although he's been pitching on the side, but he signs a one-year deal with Atlanta for $21 million. Of course, it's prorated, so I believe he'll get paid $13 million for the rest of the season. And Atlanta is showing that they not only want to be in it, but want to make a deep playoff push considering last year they made it to the postseason but certainly bowed out in five. And even though they have a very good young pitching staff, Keiko could kind of be that anchor, has postseason experience, a guy that obviously won a World Series two years ago. But to me, in assessing both Kimbrell and Keiko, first with Keiko, I feel as if, although he'll be good on a staff like the Braves, and even with a guy like Julio Tehran, who's a veteran there, I don't know how much he has left and not to say he's not a good pitcher but certainly his numbers are starting to decline a little bit from his Cy Young days of 2015 and of course his progression or his decline has gone down now not terribly I mean a guy's not you know he's not throwing 500 baseball he's not he's not 10 and 10 but at the same time I don't think he's that ace that guy that's going to be the one that's going to lock stock and automatically pitch you either into a postseason or start a game one where he's going to be just as good as the other starter that he may face on that day. Now, it remains to be seen how much he's going to be pitching here, especially from the start, because we don't know when he'll arrive. You would think it's probably going to give him a couple of weeks. He's going to be at AAA Gwinnett to probably get a couple of starts under his belt, and then we'll be up at the big club, you would think, probably by the 1st of July. But listen, it's not my money. And $13 million to bring in a guy like Keiko, who has a good track record, is a plus. But I don't know if he's going to be that guy to put you over the top. And with Kimbrell, we know that he can be dominant. 
We know that he's pitched a lot. We understand that he hasn't pitched this first part of the year, so who knows? He's coming in fresh. But at the same time, he's a guy that will certainly test your limits as far as your heart is concerned because as you've seen last year with the Red Sox, especially in that Yankee series, uh, he'll certainly have you chewing your fingernails to the nub. And Kimbrell, we know he's fastball slider. He throws up to 99, has that wicked slider. But man, he could go 3-0 and on somebody after getting the first two guys on strikeouts, and then the next thing you know, you're in a pickle. And Kimbrell, listen, he'll improve any bullpen. We know how good he is. As I said about Keiko, we know the back of his baseball card, and he is a champion. So we got to give him that. But at the same time, and we understand closers, they're not Mariano. We can't compare them to the greatest of all time. But at the same time, there seems to be more of those moments, especially in the big games, where you got to sweat it out. And give it to Kimbrell. He got all the saves that he needed to get, especially in the postseason. But now on a Cub team that's certainly ready to win, want to make that push, need to get that lockdown closer, similar to what they did in 2016 when they brought in a role to Chapman. And look, he was on fumes in a game seven, Rajah Davis, etc. But still, at the end of the day, he held up the brass ring, and that's what they're looking to get here uh, by signing Craig Kimbrell. And one last thing before I bid adieu, my hero in zero of the week, I apologize for not putting that up earlier today. Uh, pretty much my recording, you know, we had issues where I was recording at where fire alarms were going off and recording, so I was a little bit distracted. But my hero of the week, I'm going to give it to the Blue Jays for drafting Braden Halliday. And I understand that that may be a layup. I understand that that may be just a token to his late dad, Roy Halladay, who, of course, is going to be a Hall of Famer. And for them to draft, I don't know what he's going to be as far as his big league future is concerned. I haven't watched any highlights. I don't know what he's going to be. But whether or not he makes it, just knowing that they drafted him in light of his passing a couple of uh, years ago, I believe it was late 2017, certainly was just, uh, and I understand you're not going to do favors. This is a business. They're trying to, win here and not only that but draft players so they could hopefully see somewhere down the low you know some way somehow down the road in a big league uniform but just being able to draft the son of arguably the best pitcher in Toronto Blue Jay history in a one Roy Halladay was certainly a class move by the organization and of course I look at them as my hero of the week as far as the zero of the week is concerned and it is apropos because I got to give it to none other than the Toronto fan ambassador, Drake. Where was this man in Oracle in games three and four? Obviously, he was there tonight, the black she shirt, jumping up and down at certain parts of the game. And obviously, he's got to be quiet for a few days. But can I see this man in Oracle potentially watching his team, the Toronto Raptors, win an NBA title? Now, you would think he'll be there for game six, considering that they are one win away from going to the finals, but I'm sorry. Until I see that then, and even then, even then if I see it, it's only because they're on the precipice of winning a title. But what I don't understand, I don't want to hear that, oh, he's a busy guy and so on and so forth. Listen, if that's Spike Lee, who hasn't seen a Nick championship in 1973, and I'm not trying to compare Spike Lee's fandom to Drake's, but you get my drift. If you're going to wave the pom-poms at home for your team and knowing that... Even, let's say, you didn't go to game three. Go to game four, up 2-1. Cheer your team on. What, you don't want to get harassed by the Warrior fans out there? 
You want to be on the Jumbotron being booed and hissed and harassed throughout the course of a game? That's part of fandom, my guy. You got to take it, the good with the bad. You just can't be at home yucking it up, chirping at Draymond Green, Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, etc. What kind of fan is that? But then again, just like his songs where he says, you know, no fake friends. Well, hey, from me to you, my guy, no fake fans. So you can take that hashtag and do what you want with it. All right, everybody, and that will do it as it's a little bit past midnight here. I need to get to bed. But uh, my apologies for not adding these additional comments that I wanted to post earlier today. But when you wake up, hopefully if you subscribe, you'll see in the morning, hey, what is this addendum podcast? Well, here it is, just a little gift here as you wake up in the morning. So on your commute to work or in the office while you're getting your day started or even if you're at home getting your day started, obviously give us, give me a listen. Please subscribe, leave a review, post a rating, et cetera, et cetera. As you well know by now, all that's going to do is uh, increase the visibility of this podcast amongst the sports podcasts out there in the universe. So I greatly appreciate it if you do that. Take a screenshot of it. Even send it to me on Instagram. I would greatly appreciate it. I'll repost it as well just to show that uh, you are following me. And again, I'm greatly appreciated for all of your support and love in following the program as I do my best to deliver everything that's going on here in the world of sports. For the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. Until next time on the J-Rolls Podcast, on the flip, baby.